0: agriculture of america is brought to you by cenex Maxtron synthetic diesel engine oils oils that run smart informing america's farmers and ranchers this is a.o.a produced by the american
1: ag radio network now here's your host mike pearson Hello, folks. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day here today. Certainly appreciate it. There is not a dearth of things to talk about. We've got the markets trading today. Wheat market in a bit of a free fall after yesterday's move. We're going to talk markets and harvest with Dwayne Busse of Bolt Marketing here in just a minute. After that, we're going to look ahead to the midterm elections. We have seen a lot of attention from Washington, D.C. on the livestock industry and the meat processing space, and that could see further shakeups as this November midterm terms comes into focus ethan lane vice president of government affairs at ncba will be joining us here to talk about that and then in segment three josh linville the stonex vice president of fertilizer will be joining the show we've seen the fertilizer market just be dealt all sorts of tough hands over the past two years hurricane ian might have been a bullet the industry dodged what does it mean for pricing As we head into fall, we'll talk about all of that here later on. But first, we've got to talk markets. Joining us now in South Dakota is Dwayne Bussey. And Dwayne, are we talking to you in a combine today?
2: (laughs) Yeah, pretty close. I got two combines driving around me. I'm in the green cart for the boys. So, um, yeah, I guess it works. It's pretty nice. They got me set up pretty well here.
1: Well, I'm glad you're able to join us here, Dwayne. Before we get into the market talk, you're up there northeastern South Dakota. How are things looking now that you've gotten into the field?
2: I pretty good actually I you know southeast South Dakota missed the rains this year and that was well documented but uh, as you get further north we got the rains I mean we didn't get them in August and that made me pretty nervous that we were going to get shorted but as we're getting going on bean harvest here in northeast South Dakota I'm pleasantly surprised first field came off yesterday really good and Hearing that from other producers around the area, and you get further north into North Dakota, around Fargo, North Dakota, good yields there as well. A kind of surprised, had enough subsoil moisture, obviously, to, to hang on through a, a dry August. Uh, we're like everyone else now, dry and wouldn't mind a shot of rain here going into fall. But uh, other than that, yields are coming off pretty good.
1: All right. Well, Dwayne, you know, you mentioned that variability we're seeing in yields across the country this year. It's, it's pretty profound. And I'm wondering, tomorrow on Wednesday, we're going to get the report from USDA, the October WASDE report. September, we saw a yield decline in both corn and soy. Dwayne, small crops get smaller. Are you expecting a yield drop tomorrow? Mm-hmm.
2: You know, maybe a little bit in corn, uh, like the USDA trade estimates are, too. I think they've got corn yield down just a little, soybeans up just a touch. Um, overall, I guess I'm just going to say I think USA is pretty darn close. Uh, so minor adjustments moving forward. Like you said, maybe the yields are good in my area, but I've heard of plenty of areas where they're not. Uh, so they're up and down kind of all over the nation. But, so the summary is USDA is actually fairly close. I don't look for any big adjustments in the yield tomorrow.
1: That's good to hear, Dwayne. That might be one thing the market can set to the side on the demand perspective. Do you think any big adjustments might be coming here from USDA?
2: Right. That's you know, as we shift from knowing our supply, that's what we start to look towards. Right. Is what's the demand going to be over the next year? And the corn export pace has been dismal, to say the least. But but it's so early, too, Mike. I, I don't think USDA is going to make wild adjustments tomorrow. I uh, I'm curious I think they have feed and residual down a little too low so if they take some exports off say even 100 million bushels they might increase feed and residual. So I'm looking for a lot of small adjustments in tomorrow's report but the end result and in fact's fairly close to where they were a month ago. I'm expecting which is almost scary when you expect something that in USDA.
1: It is. It's tough to to look at a report coming and go well. I guess we'll just let it ride. Dwayne, is that your play you're not making any big moves here <laughs> ahead of the publish?
2: And not big moves. You know, hedgers are kind of set up with their accounts, spec accounts I'd rather just have out during a USD report. Uh, Nice bounce through resistance, push through resistance in corn yesterday above $7. I really like to see that. I think the funds still like our commodities. Other than the livestock and lean hogs, they've really dumped their long positions there over the last couple weeks, but I think they're dang near flat in the hogs, so maybe they can come around. So yeah, pretty flat going into tomorrow's report. Let's get the numbers, digest them for maybe even 12 to 24 hours before you make any decisions.
1: All right Dwayne, a little sit on your hands keep yourself out of trouble that way I am curious you mentioned the funds do still seem to like commodities but I'm looking at the wheat market down 25 to 30 cents here in the different classes Dwayne was there some overnight news in the wheat market?
2: I know I think the only news was how high we were up yesterday so it's kind of funny to be down 25 today and think like oh okay so we're only up 30 on the on the week then right so <laughs> yeah pretty violent uh, market there. You know, it's all about the Russia-Ukraine war right now. And, and then that stems to how much is Ukraine really going to plant for the winter grains this fall? And, and next year, what will they export? Will that export corridor stay open in, from Ukraine, from Russia? So a lot of back and forth there. But, yeah, overnight, there wasn't any new bombings, any new missile strikes. So it just calmed down a little bit. But, boy, yeah, that wheat trade is sure a violent one.
1: It is. Is there anything you're doing to protect any wheat pricing here, Dwayne, looking out to the fall?
2: I'm actually a, a little friendly yet here. I, I think the bigger story is that the Ukrainian farmers might not plant much winter wheat. I, not, And when I say much, I don't know, you know, 50 percent of what of what they used to raise or what they raised last year. That That's all questions I'm trying to figure out. But. My end result is I think they're not going to plant a lot of winter wheat. You know, talk about uncertainty over there. We, we question what to plant due to prices and fertilizer costs. I mean, they're ducking missiles to try to get wheat planted. So I'm afraid they just won't plant as much, and that'll be the bigger story. Uh, probably should give us a pop in this market. Maybe it can get us back up almost another dollar from these prices. And then at that point in time, I'll be looking out to next year to lock in wheat prices as well and sell the crop we've got now.
1: All right. All right. A lot of opportunity there, potentially down the future. Dwayne, you mentioned livestock. i want to turn the focus over to the feeder cattle market in particular. Yesterday, you mentioned we hit a new level in corn back up above that $7. It seems to be holding so far today, and yet we've got feeders up triple digits so far today. Where's the bullish attitude coming from in that market?
2: I think it's it's just we went down too far too fast. You know, I'm going to concentrate on the no feeders here. We've been watching that market now granted when we're in the 170s for a price that's a 6 year high and it sounds good but i mean we were as high as 190 a couple of months ago and kind of wondering if we wouldn't top 200 because the low inventory that's coming right and we just haven't seen that low inventory yet but yesterday when we crashed down to near 172 that's about the contract low here for these no feeders and I think you're seeing buying interest step up probably from the spec crowd if anything and maybe the funds are stepping back in and going well at that price I'll own them because the inventory is eventually going to be tight Mike and I think these calves are going to be worth a lot as long as USDA doesn't shock me with a low corn ending stock number tomorrow, and corn goes straight to eight bucks. But I, I don't see that happening. And actually, as a producer, I don't even think I want that to happen tomorrow.
1: No, I mean, it took how long to get back the demand we lost in 2012? That could create some struggles longer term. But Dwayne, you mentioned talking cattle markets, live cattle cash trade this week. We gonna see 150.
2: I don't think we'll quite see 150. I keep promising you that we're eventually we're going to see it. Maybe not quite this week, but last week was a really nice week for the cash cattle market, getting to that 147 as far as some of the highs I saw. I think demand's getting stronger now, and as us farmer feeders are out busy in the field, it's, we're not busy selling and taking care of our lives. Well, we're taking care of the livestock. We're not selling them as much as
1: That's true. It's a slow time at the sale barns. Folks, we've been talking to Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota. Dwayne, always appreciate your insight on these volatile markets.
2: Thanks, Mike. Anytime.
1: Well, folks, stay tuned. We're going to turn the focus from markets to politics when AOA returns with Ethan Lane from MCBA. Stick around for more. Agriculture of
0: America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart.
1: On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association.
3: Corn grain and corn gluten meal are the top ingredients in pet food. Uh, some of the efforts of the Market Development Action Team, we we ask a lot out of chat and others when it comes to the, the scope of the portfolio of MDAT, everything from our traditional animal ag uses to what we call new uses, such as bio-based packaging. Pet food space in particular, it's really interesting because they have some of the, the highest margins and there's this demand for these premium products that we're seeing where consumers are willing to pay more for um, sustainable
4: packaging options so this is kind of a really good market to kind of test out some of these uh, plant-based and renewable packaging solutions which of course could be made from corn
1: this monthly grind recap is sponsored by the national corn growers association be sure to tune in the first wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on aoa
5: As a farmer, growing your business is more than just a nine-to-five. It's your life's work. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System goes all in to help you stay on top. Backed by decades of innovation, offering the latest trait technology and triple herbicide tolerance. Plus, more weed species controlled than any other soybean system. Because you mean business, and so do we. Learn more at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices.
7: A message brought to you by Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day here. We certainly appreciate it. And I tell you what, there is certainly a lot to discuss. Over the past two years, we have seen the livestock industry, in particular meat processing, take attention that it's not used to taking. There in Washington, D.C., we've seen a lot of focus from elected officials and regulatory folks on the industry of beef production. And we could see a lot of that either intensify or certainly change as we get through the month of November and those midterm elections roll past well the folks at ncba keep up to speed with what's happening around the country on a political front and joining us today is ethan lane he's the vice president of government affairs there at the national cattlemen's beef association and ethan you've got your hands full over the next several weeks watching these races ahead of the midterms which ones are the ones you're keeping an eye on closest
3: you know, Mike, this is a, one of those election cycles where I have to keep reminding myself that I chose to do this for a living. Uh, you know, we, we look into some of these races, and, and it really is um, one of the tightest election cycles I can remember uh, across the country. So we're kind of looking broadly at those national metrics, right? Voter uh, enthusiasm numbers. And we're seeing some discrepancies between voter enthusiasm with Republican voters uh, being much higher, and it has been that way for most of this cycle, versus a lack of enthusiasm amongst young voters and minority voters, both of which are categories that are really important uh, for the Democratic base to turn out. And then we're looking at those kind of broad numbers and we're comparing to those districts where there's an opportunity for a flip uh, towards the Republican party in some instances, or to maintain a seat for a moderate Democrat that's supportive of agriculture. Um, So we're watching a lot of those opportunities closely. Uh, There's a, there's a really important race in Colorado's eighth district, Barb Kirkmeyer, a Republican County commissioner there uh, looks like she's possibly going to be able to take that open seat there. Oregon's fifth district where we lost Kurt Schrader, uh, who was a, a real moderate Democrat. Uh, That's now an open contest that we're watching really closely with uh, Lori Chavez de the Republican. Uh, We met with her a few weeks ago. She is a really exciting candidate going up against Jamie McLeod Skinner, who's pretty far left-wing Democrat, uh, who knocked off Schrader in the primary. That's going to be another test of that voter turnout and and, and what the electorate really looks like. Um, And we're looking at those kind of all across the country where, um, you know, we've seen some of these candidates that were really successful in a primary. Uh, Particularly on the far right, now needing to figure out how to translate that message in a, a, um, you know, in a a general election. And of course, we're also looking at all of these Senate races that are so pivotal. You know, the, the 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 prognosticators are looking at these and feeling like we may end up kind of exactly where we started, but with a little bit of a reshuffle in some of these states. Obviously, everyone's watching Georgia and Pennsylvania really closely. We're seeing the Democratic Party really put a lot of attention on rural parts of Georgia, and in particular, kind of hammering that message that there's more money, more support, more, more stuff for farmers and ranchers in, in Georgia um, if they just stick with the Democratic Party, uh, reelect Ralph Warnock, and, and kind of uh, you know, lean into that Democratic slate. Um, so we're going to see whether that resonates there. And, and honestly, anybody that tells you they know what's going to happen in Pennsylvania is, is lying to you because, man, that is a really hard one to call.
1: It is. There is so much happening this year that is, yeah, I do not envy you and the folks in your position trying to make sense of this upcoming election. Ethan, I did want to mention a few weeks ago, I had the chance to listen to Colin Peterson, former uh, chair of the House Ag Committee, longtime House Democrat involved in agriculture. And he mentioned the challenge that I think you touched on right there, which is the lack of enthusiasm on the left of the aisle for ag policy. He mentioned that the Democrats hold 27 seats in the House Ag Committee, but only 7 Seven volunteered to serve. The rest were drafted. How does the Ag Committee change post-election? What's your expectation in the House? And then do you expect any changes on the Senate side?
3: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I had that same conversation with Colin Peterson a few weeks ago. And and I think that's something everybody's looking at. You know, of course, we're going into a a farm bill in earnest in the next Congress. And that's going to bring some folks on the Democratic side that otherwise don't have much of an interest in agriculture. You know, they're from more urban districts. Um, and their, their focus is more nutrition programs. Um, and that, that you know, 80% portion of the farm bill that goes to those food programs. Um, so you're gonna start to see, I think, some of what we've already seen uh, with folks like Marcy Kaptur returning to the Ag Committee from Toledo, Ohio. Uh, places like that that don't typically engage in a lot of, you know, true ag policy. That's where you're going to see interest from the Democratic side of the aisle. Of course, those stalwart, true ag Democrats, folks like Jim Costa from California, uh, will make their return to the committee. But I think you're going to see a pretty dominant. Uh, list of of folks that are highly invested in that SNAP and nutrition conversation leading into the farm bill and, and probably not as interested in the conservation spending and risk management disaster program spending that we are all focused on on the ag side of the aisle.
1: With that being the case, Ethan, of course, those farm bill discussions have gotten started already ahead of the midterms, getting that big piece of legislation prepared for next year. And how have the conversations been going about some of the funding that ag issues, particularly beef producers, are concerned about?
3: You know, I, I, um, I am not extremely hopeful for, for the farm bill in the next Congress. I think the presumptive chairman of the Ag Committee, should the Republicans take control, G.T. Thompson from Pennsylvania, um, really has his sights fixed on, a, on an aggressive agenda um, to start holding some hearings and working through that process and aiming to have a bill to vote on by September of next year. Um, but, you know, that IRA, that Inflation Reduction Act bill that was passed back in August included $60 billion in kind of front-loaded conservation spending, um, that isn't helpful to the, to the Farm Bill process. It feels helpful at the time. Gosh, we're going to take some of the spending burden off at a time when there's not much money to go around. But it also reduces incentive for Farm State members to engage in the process. And, and the Farm Bill is always kind of a, um, you know, you get what you need and we get what we need and everyone jumps together. And if you take away anything from that equation, it gets very fragile very fast. And we're going to see a lot of shades of 2010, the Tea Party wave and that fiscal conservatism that that era was known for. I think we're going to see a lot of that returning. You know, Talking to some of these new candidates that are headed to Congress, I can tell you a lot of them are really fixed on that idea of too much government spending. That is bad news for a farm bill, uh, particularly in the first year of a new Congress
1: that being said in the conversations you've had with candidates who might end up being in dc here come this fall what are some of the the juiciest spots they're looking at where do they see cuts coming in the farm bill or have they gotten that far yet
3: well it, it, i mean right now it's not even cuts so much as just inflation which is impacting everything in the economy obviously has an impact there as well right disaster dollars don't go go as far snap dollars don't go as far nothing is getting uh, as much benefit for, for, for users of those programs as they did when the last farm bill was passed. So I think job number one, and, and GT Thompson has talked about this extensively, is figuring out how to hold together the services and the programs that producers rely on today. And, and you know we've seen a dramatic increase in the use of programs like livestock risk protection. I mean, that is a, a multi-billion dollar program that was sub $1 billion um, just a few short years ago, the last time we passed a farm bill. You know, that's a risk management tool that's finally working for cattle producers. Things like that are going to be a big part of this conversation, because if you're going to add money to that, where does that come from when you're already short for every program across the aisle? If you just pass the same numbers, every program takes an effective cut. And that's the way we have to be thinking about it going into this conversation.
1: Oh, that is a really good point. Gosh, there's so much to consider on this political issue stuff. Ethan, I've got a question for you. It might be a little bit of a wild card. Feel free to go with this where you'd like. But we saw one of these last uh, USDA announcements coming with some COVID funds, a big pot of money that was going to go to state attorneys general to help them combat price fixing or uh, market manipulation, all of these sorts of things. Does that encourage NCB to take a look at attorneys general or governor races across the country? Are there any there you're keeping the pulse on?
3: You know, we, we tend to leave those those statewide elections to our state affiliates. They know those those areas best, and that's sort of the nature of how NCBA works, right? We're a, an affiliate-based organization. We have direct members, and we have really strong state affiliates around the country, and we rely on them to kind of tell us uh, what those in-state politics look like and, and, and what's going to be best for the industry uh, rather than us trying to do that from Washington, D.C. But, you know, that approach from, from the Department of Agriculture of kind of uh, you know, putting a bounty out there and, and, uh, and offering that as a challenge grant to attorneys general that want to go find uh, corruption or, or price fixing um, and kind of, you know, receive reward money in, in exchange for doing that is an interesting concept. It's not one we've seen before. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they apply it and and, and just what that looks like when they actually uh, start to implement that, because it's, it's a, I guess, outside the box thinking is the most charitable way I can think of to describe it. <laughs>
1: It will be interesting to see it play out. Ethan, before we let you go, I want to nail you down here, and I apologize for doing this to you, but we got to talk about it. House, we're going to see the Republicans retake control. Is that your expectation?
3: It is. And and look, I think that's simple math. I mean, I I, I think that uh, I think we can all kind of look at where maybe the the party has 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 missed some opportunities or has failed to transition from a primary campaign stance to a general election campaign stance quick enough. But I think they're figuring that out. I think that things aren't going to be as unpredictable as maybe we were looking at a few weeks ago where that that margin had really narrowed in the polls. Um, So I think the House is going to flip Uh, the Senate. I don't know that I don't know that we're going to look at a Republican Senate.
1: Okay, lots to watch here as that election gets closer in just a few short weeks. Ethan Lane, Vice President of Government Affairs at National Cattlemen's Beef Association, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And folks, stick around. We're going to take a look at the global fertilizer market with Josh Linville, Stonex Vice President of Fertilizer. Agriculture
0: of America is brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart.
5: As a farmer, growing your business is more than just a 9 to 5. It's your life's work. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system goes all in to help you stay on top. Backed by decades of innovation. Offering the latest trait technology and triple herbicide tolerance. Plus more weed species controlled than any other soybean system. Because you mean business. And so do we. Learn more at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices.
6: I think farming picked me. (laughs) I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved.
8: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristfeld with this market update. After yesterday's rally and surge in grains, they have pulled back today and are showing signs of weakness. The broader commodity market has come under modest pressure overnight, largely on economic concerns, and those resulted in crude oil prices pulling modestly lower as well, while the grain and oilseed markets pulled back from those yesterday's big gains with geopolitical risks in Ukraine. Ukrainian farmers have planted 1.8 million hectares of winter grains so far, which is 38% of the forecasted area, which is roughly 20% lower than last year's levels. However, some private analysts within Ukraine think that plantings will fall far further than 20% amid the difficulties of farming in a war-torn country, Winter wheat planted acreage is currently at 41% of expected coverage, while barley is at 23% and rye at 57%. This year's corn harvest is in the very early stages amid some unconfirmed reports of disappointing yields. Export shipments through the grain corridor from the three approved ports totals 1.3 million metric tons so far this month on 64 vessels. Now the total included 458,000 metric tons of corn and 592,000 metric tons of wheat. Each ship approaching Ukraine to load up with agricultural products must first be inspected by Turkey and Istanbul, but that is a very slow process, and as such, trade reports indicate that roughly 100 ships are backed up waiting to be inspected, providing a bottleneck for the entire export process. Meanwhile, reports emerged today that Russia is looking at lifting export quotas for wheat. That's not really a surprise considering the size of this year's crop and Russia's need for cash to support the war, but it did contribute to the overnight price weakness. Grain and oil seed traders are also focused on tomorrow's monthly USDA WASDE crop report. The trade is split on whether to expect USDA to continue with smaller yields for corn and beans or whether we'll see a bounce on better-than-expected yields. Now, the bias in the trade is slightly smaller yields, but this leaves the market perhaps a bit more vulnerable to a surprise in either direction. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet.
4: Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle.
8: I like that too.
4: Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We're continuing our discussion of so many aspects of agriculture today, and one crucial one impacts every operation across the United States and around the world, of course, is fertility. And we have seen the fertilizer market go through incredible gyrations here in the period of COVID, and then they were amplified during the war in Ukraine, and things have been crazy. One guy who has not gotten a lot of sleep, I would imagine, over the past two years is Josh Linville. He is the vice president of Fertilizer at StoneX, at josh thanks for joining us today
9: absolutely how you doing sir
1: hey i am doing well and i'm curious about nitrogen pricing here heading into the fall josh what are you seeing out there in the global market
9: well things are probably starting to see a little bit more support prices are starting to rise uh, you know we're dealing with a lot of different issues that are going on out there um, here last several months obviously the whole ukraine russia situation has caused Russia's natural gas to Europe be uh, slowed and then stopped, of course. That means European production has been offline. We're losing a tremendous amount of production with Western and Central Europe uh, nitrogen plants being offline. I mean, it's one of those situations you start looking forward and seeing these prices starting to go up. It's not a big surprise.
1: No, it's not, Josh. And I remember when those plants started shutting down there back in August and July, the expectation was they had enough stocks on hand to make it through the end of the year. Is that still the case for those European producers?
9: It, I don't think it is for the producers. Now, I do think that the governments have been stockpiling natural gas enough to make sure that their residents have enough to heat their homes, cook their meals. But the industrial complex, for the March part, I think is kind of left to its own
1: devices. Oh, wow. Okay. So, even though when we hear about LNG stocks in Germany being refilled, that's maybe not necessarily going to help out Yara or some of the nitrogen producers there in that country.
9: No, unfortunately, it doesn't look that way. And uh, we were. Still holding out a little bit of hope, you know, it, with all the things that have happened over the last two-plus years, you just kind of start grasping at straws, grasping at things that could happen to make things go better. And one of the things was, well, we still have the North Stream Pipeline. Maybe they'll come to a calm head. Maybe they'll start to increase shipments again. Well, when we saw that sabotage attack there a couple of weeks ago, that kind of uh, put the kibosh on that whole hope.
1: Okay. All right. So now we're coming to grips with the fact that European production is going to be down. Josh, what are you seeing domestically on the nitrogen production side?
9: Luckily, production is still running very, very well here. And given where the margins are, given where prices are, North American producers are making every single nitrogen ton they possibly can. Uh, They are completely maxed out. It would be crazy not to do so. Unfortunately, even with them producing everything they possibly can, we still are a net importer. And that's what the focus is going to start turning to here over the next month or two as the market starts to kind of get into the fall season, figure out what is happening, what isn't happening, and start making plans for the spring. Once it starts to put numbers together on what we need to import to get what we need for next spring, I'm afraid we're going to start seeing prices uh, sliding higher here throughout the rest of this year and into the next
1: okay bit of a wake-up call right there on the fertilizer price issue josh you mentioned we're gearing up for fall we're gearing up for those fall fertilizer applications 2021 we saw anhydrous at quite a discount early in the season so a lot of growers put that anhydrous in the ground what's your expectations or what is the industry planning for this year fall application wise
9: yeah to your point it was much cheaper going through the summer a lot of farmers were able to lock in a lot of times very cheap compared to where the market eventually got to we didn't have that luxury this year. I mean, the wholesale market uh, bottomed out around $900 as far as the Midwest average. And that was about $400 a ton higher than where last summer was. So that reset never occurred like a lot of people hoped. I think that made a lot of people conservative, uh, hoping that, hey, maybe prices will drop off, maybe things will correct going forward. So I think that's got everybody a little more conservative going into the fall. But I would say my biggest fear as we are now within the 30-day time frame of starting up fall application it's very dry uh, you look at the drought monitors you look at how dry it is you hear some of the reports if things don't change if we don't start getting some rains it doesn't matter what the price is these guys can't get toolbars pulled through the dirt
1: And is that going to be a maybe one of those straws we can grasp at to look for potentially future and high future a decreases, future decreases in the price of ammonia my apologies Josh what do you think is that something that could move the market enough to drive prices down at the retail level?
9: Well, it'd be one of those situations where if we saw, it, let's say we go through a period where it's like one of the worst falls that we've had, what that would mean is we would see prices down as we went into the winter months, as we looked at December and January and February shipment. But the problem is, then we start looking the spring. We'd say, well, we didn't get this much done in the fall. That means all this demand goes to the spring, and the system is only designed to move so many tons. The market would then start to approach it from the standpoint of saying we can only provide so much demand is bigger, we need to move the price higher in order to move that demand to some of the product because anhydrous just can't do it all.
1: That makes sense. Josh, you know, you mentioned the system is designed to handle the movement of so many tons. And of course, a big part of that system is the inland waterway on dry bulk fertilizer in particular. With the drop in the Mississippi, how is the industry adapting? How are we going to get supplies we need up the river this winter or going another route?
9: Well, we've got to hope that the river system comes back. It is the artery system of our entire North America structure. If we lose that, uh, we're in a very, very bad way. Now, luckily, the Coast Guard, different organizations, organization been doing everything they possibly can to dredge these waterways and make sure the traffic can continue, and it, they're doing a heck of a job. I don't think anybody understands the Herculean effort that's being put into it. But if we were to completely lose it, then you start looking and saying, okay, what's my next best option as far as logistics go? Well, it's rail. And we know that, hey, there's there's been some stories here the last couple days that railroad workers are rejecting some of these agreements. We might have to start talking about strikes again. And even if they were running optimally, they're already pretty well maxed out as far as what they can push. So they can only do so much to take on the extra. That pushes off the truck. And anybody who's ran trucks over the last several years knows we have lost a tremendous amount of these bulk carrier over-the-road truckers to companies like Amazon in different places because rather than running all over the country for low rates, they can go work for these companies, make more per mile and be home with their family every night. So if we lose barge uh, from a logistical standpoint, I struggle to see where we can make up the difference.
1: That is a huge risk, Josh. Obviously, you're well aware as we head into this next growing season, we need that fertilizer. How should growers be managing that risk in your mind from the, the retail perspective? What can they do to ensure they've got the production they're going to need next spring? Do you just cross your fingers and hope the system pulls it together?
9: No, and unfortunately, if you're talking to, looking at it from a retail standpoint, obviously, they've got a tremendous amount of price risk this thing, and they're very conservative because last time we saw these types of values, Prices fell out of bed. Uh, a lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people lost their companies. So they're a little bit more conservative, not wanting to take that risk. Um, from a farmer's perspective, the two things I continue to preach and uh, continue to ask people to consider, number one, continue having those conversations with your supplier, with your retailer. Without the information of what you're planning on doing, it's, it, there's a higher chance that they may not have that sitting there when you show up November 1st, for example, for your phosphate, your potash, your anhydrous, because they don't want to take the risk. And number two, if they don't have a firm idea of what you're looking for, they can't make plans on their side. Uh, as far as hedging the risk, you know, buy the fertilizer. Consider selling some of your grain against it. My biggest fear is not that, hey, you know, price of fertilizer goes up higher and the g- price of grain goes down, whatever that is. I'm afraid somebody locks in their fertilizer and grain prices fall tremendously or vice versa. That is where these guys start to really get burned. So if you, if you look at buying an input, consider selling an output. That's your best hedge as a farmer. And Absolutely, honest, it and possibly is. Possibly,
1: can to move product. With it. Interesting, Josh. We did see Hurricane Ian come through, skirted fertilizer production down there in Florida. Was there any disruption to potash mining down there across uh, Central Florida?
9: Uh, not much in the phosphate mining. It was uh, to your point that storm moved just far enough south the majority of the storm surge, the the high-level winds, things like that, stayed away from those operations down there. Uh, they had announced that they thought they might lose upwards of 200 to 250,000 tons of production. That's obviously a loss we don't want to see. Uh, we need all the supply we can get our hands on. But to give you a reference point, the market's reaction, ever since that event happened and we saw what it did and what it did not do, prices have continued to slide. So the market has seen it mostly as a non-event. It's I don't think a lot of people across North America will ever understand how close we were to losing a lot more production down there.
1: Wow. Well, it's good to dodge a bullet. I'd rather be lucky than good. Josh, you mentioned supply potash Belarus. Are they coming back to the market? Or is anybody working with the Belarusians to get their potash out?
9: They're getting a little bit of rail shipments uh, going east through like Russia and down to China, things like that. They're letting some time slip through that way. But unfortunately, from a logistical standpoint, they're still landlocked. Uh, Lithuania continues to block them through their country. That doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. And with Belarus supporting Russia, uh, Ukraine's definitely not going to let them ship anything south of their country and through their waterways. So, no, unfortunately, nothing has changed from their perspective. They remain mostly cut out from the world marketplace. But even with that going on, potash prices have continued to slide since early April.
1: All right, so catching a break there. China coming back into the export picture at all with any uh, any inputs, Josh?
9: They've allowed some the phosphates to be exported and is the biggest exporter of uh, DAP and MAP in the world. That's a fantastic scenario. Again, that's a win we will definitely take. That has supported lower price ideas out there. Um, nitrogen, we were surprised at how many tons of uh, urea were exported in August. We think that was a little bit of people not listening to the government. We think that's going to be reeled in. Unfortunately, as we get closer to the start of our new calendar year, the Chinese government's going to start looking at stockpiles and saying, we need to make sure we've got everything in place for our own farmers first, completely shut down again, similar to what they did last fall. Uh, That's our expectation at this time. So while we might see a little bit of help today, we don't think it's going to be very long-lived.
1: All right, Josh, then is this the time to step in for spring potash needs?
9: Uh, At this point for spring, I would not step in just yet. Um, Just give this thing a little bit of time. Like I said, with the logistical problems we have, the market's kind of in a a funky spot. That's the best way to say it. Give that thing time to work out, and eventually it will work itself out. And you know, we got a lot of months before next spring.
1: All right, a lot of things to keep an eye on. This fertilizer market continues to be volatile. Josh Linville, thank you so much for jumping on the show and talking about exactly how this industry is moving.
9: All right, thanks a lot.
1: And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to talk through some other headlines that are moving the ag markets, and we'll take a look at what to expect with tomorrow's WASDE report. Agriculture
0: of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart.
4: You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity and vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding.
10: We're fighting macular degeneration.
4: Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum
7: of blinding retinal diseases.
1: We fund.
4: We fight. We We win. win. We. 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 We are are the foundation Foundation Fighting Fighting Blindness. Blindness. Together, we are Fighting Blindness.
0: Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft. Soft. And crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win.
1: This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Our guest today is Ryan Mackinton, CHS farmer owner, who shares how local cooperatives are an important part of his operation's success story. Ryan, thanks for joining us, and if you would, tell us a little bit about your operation and how much you work with cooperatives.
10: Well, Thanks for having me, Mike. I farm in Broughton, Minnesota, about an hour west of the Twin Cities. I work with my brother-in-law, and I also farm with two neighboring farms, and together we farm about 5,000 acres. And as working with my co-ops, we pretty much depend on them on every aspect, from variable rate planting maps, variable rate fertilizer maps, seed, crop protection, energy, fertilizer, marketing my grain through there, so a vast variety of things.
1: Covers a lot of ground, Ryan. And how has your relationship with these cooperatives contributed to your success?
10: Well, working one-on-one with my agronomist, uh, Mark, uh, he knows everything about my farm. He knows everything about me and my operation. This makes it very easy for me to line up all my inputs and have them available or applied timely.
1: Ryan, what would you tell other farmers about the value of being a cooperative owner?
10: Um, I'd have to say, you know, supporting your local co-op brings back local jobs. Local infrastructure, it brings value back to your area. For instance, I have a shuttle rail facility just four miles from my place. So, you know, money that is made by the co op is handled by a board of directors made up of farmers like myself. And they are the ones that decide how to reinvest that money or pay back patronage back to their customers or farmer owners. So, I would say that was a huge advantage, you know. So, it's not, you know, the money staying local to me and building me locally and helping me out.
1: Ryan Mackinton, Minnesota farmer, CHS farmer owner, thanks for joining us.
10: Hey, thanks for having me, Mike.
1: And thanks for joining us here around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership by visiting cooperativeownership.com.
0: The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. This is Ernie Johnson, Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD.
1: Brought to you by the American Football Coaches
0: Association. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
1: Welcome back, folks. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We always appreciate you having us join, joining us here as our audience. We are looking at the world of agriculture. One of the things we try to focus on with this show are the things that happen behind the scenes that impact the world of agriculture. We see this a lot in Washington, D.C., as various subcommittees and agency executives and bodies under the executive agency get around and get rules promoted and promulgated. And oftentimes, these rules just happen in the background and they become a part of our daily life and i think it's worth noticing how they're created and when they passed we're going to be talking about that tomorrow on the program andrew volmer is an attorney and he'll be joining us to take a look at how this political polarization at executive branch agencies can change the way government works and we're seeing that come out we're going to talk specifically about the sec climate change climate disclosure rule proposal that SEC rolled out earlier this year has the ag industry certainly very concerned about what SEC could try to do long term but we're also seeing agencies roll out rules nearly constantly in DC. And we had an announcement last week, it's an announcement that the industry had been watching for though it doesn't seem like it did everything the industry, the ag industry at least was hoping. And that was an update on a final rule on h2a visas. This is the program that allows employers in the US to use foreign agricultural workers for temporary labor help. Typically, these are harvest workers. That's uh, ordinarily how h2a visa programs work. You find workers in a foreign country, and then you pay to to bring them up here and house them and all of that and they work on the operation for a set period of time and they go back that's roughly the h2a program and th- There have been some concerns about the H-2A program, largely as a result of coronavirus and and all the challenges we've faced at the border. Agricultural producers in this country have struggled capturing and and finding enough employees under this program to make it work. So the Department of Labor took a look at the H-2A visa rules, and they've issued a new rule. Now, this is a final rule. It will be published. It's expected this Thursday in the Federal Register. Then a comment period will begin following that, and then it will become final some period after that once the comment period is up. But what this rule is proposing to do is they're improving the health and safety protections for workers housed in rental or in public facilities. So if the the farmer or the employer doesn't own a facility, if they're renting houses for their workers, it changes the way a lot of that is overseen, and it modernizes the way for determining the prevailing wage. This is, you can't just hire these workers and pay them whatever you want. You have to pay them the equivalent of what you would pay an American worker to do that same job. And this act or this rule changes the way some of that is calculated, tries to streamline the process a little bit what this rule does not do is expand the number of workers allowed in. This is where the ag industry would like to see some changes happen. They're calling out, crying out, really, for more ag labor, particularly at harvest season, though our friends in the dairy industry and our friends in the pork industry would like to see more year-round help so they can have consistent help. They can train on the farm. But it does appear to be a bit uh, disappointing. The Department of Labor didn't adjust the number of visas. We'll be talking to folks in and around the immigration issue related to agriculture over the next couple of weeks as this rule moves a little closer towards fruition. We've also got some news coming out of Colombia. And this just caught me off guard. I thought it was an interesting approach to land management in South America. Colombia has a new president. It is the first left-leaning leader, leftist leader, is what he calls himself, Gustavo Petro down there. And they're working to address some uncertainty in the world of ag land ownership. And there was a huge purchase. Colombia's government is purchasing 3 million hectares. That's 7.4 million acres and they're going to transfer the title of that land to poor rural farmers in order to push agrarian reform. The Colombian government, they say by doing this they are going to grant 600,000-ish new people title to land. Now ordinarily when you get an announcement like this and there has been some sort of government land redistribution, oftentimes the government's taking land from people who maybe don't want to see it go. What's unique in Colombia is that this appears to an agreement that's working on both sides. The government is buying the land from a collection of cattle ranchers in the mountains and foothills of Colombia. The ranchers uh, are acting as a group, and they have come out, and uh, they said, quote, this is from José Félix Laforese, the president of the uh, the Cattle Rancher Association. He said, quote, we've reached a great agreement that will bring a lot of tranquility to the rural sector. He says it's going to help consolidate a rural middle class, and that will help Colombia respond to their food-based challenges. Seems to be a win-win. You don't often see that. It will be interesting to see how this plays out and how the Colombian government works these new farmers into their existing ag supply chain. i got some other positive news from the world of pork exports. They topped the year-ago level for the first time in 2022 back in August pork exports have been running a little bit low this year. China has been largely, or excuse me, China has been reduced in the market as a buyer this past year as they have rebuilt their domestic hog supply. But we did see exports tick up to 226,000 metric tons in August. That is up slightly from last year, and it is the largest pork export number since November of 2021. And importantly, we're seeing tons increase. At the same time, folks, if you've been watching pork prices, they're not coming down. So we're seeing volume increase. At the same time, we're seeing value increase. And for August 2022, the value of that pork that we sold climbed 4% to $659.6 million. We are moving a lot of pork out of This country. That's good news for America's pork producers. And I think it's good news for folks who like to eat pork around the world because now they're getting some of the best, in my opinion. Did want to make a quick note before we go for the day. We've been talking about the struggles that the alt meat, fake meat, uh, plant based protein industry is facing. And there's more headlines this time from Impossible Foods. They announced yesterday they are looking to cut six percent of their workforce. The president CEO came out and said, quote, we've made the very difficult decision to eliminate certain roles that have become redundant to others in the organization or that are no longer allied with our core business priorities. The struggles in that alt-meat space continue to grow. Consumers just don't love it like they did two years ago. And I think that's good news for America's livestock producers. We'll continue watching that story here on AOA. Folks, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow. We're going to talk what's happening at the SEC. We're also going to talk with Tom Haig, new president of the National Corn Growers Association. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everybody.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. We all know clean fields lead to strong yields. That's why ExtendFlex soybeans offer triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate to control more weed species than any other soybean system, even tough weeds like waterhemp, Palmer amaranth, and mares tail. Get the control flexibility and proven performance you need so you can focus on the business at hand instead of beating back weeds. Explore the Roundup Ready Extend crop system at systemofchoice.com claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021 read and follow pesticide label directions grain marketing and other stewardship practices.
6: I think farming picked me. (laughs) I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come define your future at channel.com slash future read and follow pesticide label directions irm grain marketing and other stewardship practices copyright 2022 bayer group all rights reserved as an organ donor your story doesn't have to end The good in you can live on in fact you could save up to eight lives with your gifts your heart could keep beating your kidneys could keep filtering Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.